Hi there, thanks for joining. Welcome to the podcast Well Well with your host, Kelly Steckler. This podcast exists to help you on your healing journey so that you can live your most authentic and fulfilling life. Well Well features a mix of guests as well as personal stories and insights from yours truly as I discover my path towards healing. Thanks for joining as we dive into the healing experience. Let's get healing. Hi, thanks for joining and thanks for listening to today's episode. Today I have Rachel Havacost on to talk about all things boundaries. Rachel is a writer with a passion for destigmatizing taboo topics, specifically related to mental health, relationships, and the human condition. She hopes that by sharing what she's learned both in life and in therapy, she can create safe spaces for people to learn, connect, and feel less alone. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just as a heads up, as you head into listening, we do cover um, specific topics, including suicide, um, disordered eating, and as well as just mental health topics. So just be aware of that as we head in. And um, of course, as this is a self-funded and self-made podcast, any support you can share either by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by even just sharing with a friend if you enjoyed today's episode. It's hugely helpful and impactful and just so appreciated. So thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining today. Of course. So happy to be here, Kelly. It's, it's such a pleasure having you on. And I feel like this is also very timely, um, having you come onto the podcast to speak about boundaries, especially as we're heading into the holiday season, which I know could be really, really tough in terms of holding your own boundaries, um, with your family or friends or sometimes even yourself. So yeah, I feel like this will be such a great episode. Yes. I'm so excited. I, I feel like I am finally in a place in my life where I'm confident in my ability to set boundaries coming up to this season. So I feel like I'm, I'm like ready to go, but for, oh girl, for so many years, this time of year was so stressful. I know I have like creeping anxiety, but this will be actually the first full uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas that I will be spending both holidays away from home. And so it'll just be me and my partner. So it'll be like actually a new fresh change, I think. So I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But before we jump into all things boundaries, would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and your upbringing just to provide some context as we head into Yes, yes, of course. And feel free to to cut me off at any time because, you know, uh, life is long. So I'll try and keep (laughs) it. So I, gosh, let's see. I'm, I'm 32 years old. Um, I've been in therapy for about 17 years on and off. When I was 15, I was diagnosed with anorexia and my, my mom, you know, intervened and sent me to therapy, but I had, I had no interest in changing. I, and I didn't think, I didn't really think anything was wrong. I just thought, Oh, I just, I just want to be thin. That's all this is. Um, and I kind of maintained that sort of stubbornness around therapy or changing for probably a solid five years. Um, and as time went on and as my eating disorder got worse, 
and I, and I continued to really just not, I not, I did not talk to anyone about what was going on. And this was like 2005. So there was no social media. There was no, this is, you know, what it looks like when someone's experiencing mental health issues, here's how to talk to people. It's okay to talk to people. I was just like living in my own sort of world of I'm the only person that's thinking the things I'm thinking or feeling what I'm feeling. And I, and that's it. Um, so as the years went on, my eating disorder got worse. It developed into binge eating disorder. I started to experience depression for the first time. Um, and when I went off to college, I was really underprepared to just to be on my own. And, um, and my depression got a lot worse. I started drinking alcohol to cope. I started self-harming and still, I was not talking to anyone, um, about what I was going through. And, um, and then I think maybe like midway through my sophomore year of college, I actually attempted to take my life. And at that point, my mom flew out to New York where I was in school. And she said, you know, if you, if you want to take a leave of absence and come home, your father and I would be okay with that. And I was like, really? Like, yeah, yes, I would love that. Um, it just didn't seem like an option to me. And I was so terrified of disappointing them. Um, and so I went home, I, I was in therapy a little bit and, um, I kind of quote unquote, got my life together, but I was still very much engulfed in my eating disorder. And it wasn't until I was 26, um, when my partner at the time who eventually became my husband, um, he kind of, he said to me, Rachel, you're, you're still struggling with your eating disorder. And I really want you to go get help. And I think that moment of someone really seeing and acknowledging what I was going through and, and coming from a place of, of love saying, I really want you to get help was something I needed to hear. Um, so I went to treatment. I spent four months in an outpatient program. I learned so much about my emotions, about boundaries, about communication, uh, things I had just no idea were even, even existed. Like if you'd asked me at that time, what I felt, I would have either said good or bad. I didn't know that there were names for my emotions. I didn't know I could say no to things. I was the queen of people pleasing. I said yes to everything. Um, I was constantly burnt out and exhausted. Um, I was the friend everyone went to for support because I was excellent at staying quiet and listening. I never voiced my own opinion about things. I mean, I was a good girl. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I, that experience was really pivotal for me. So I went to get my master's in mental health counseling. I fell into a depression again, had to withdraw from school. And finally, I figured out that the way I could sort of support folks in what I was passionate about, which was mental health, was through writing. And that was a way for that was kind of like my first really true hardcore boundary that I set, which was I, I know that energetically it's I'm too sensitive to hold one-on-one -on -one space with people. And I'm still passionate about advocating for mental health and offering resources. So writing is a way and a vehicle for me to offer that without the attachment to someone's well-being. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last two years. I've been writing, advocating, and educating um, about mental health, um, trying to destigmatize, trying to make these resources and tools available. Um, and I could keep talking forever about that. So <laughs> I was gonna say, like. <laughs> I mean, thank you for, for sharing. And I've been a long time follower and supporter on Instagram and you. what you do and how you have leveraged your life's experiences to help others is just absolutely inspiring. And all of the content that you produce is so helpful, myself included. So first and foremost, thank you. Um, 
I, I love what you're doing and I just, it's such a joy being able to like cheer you on, but then also like really take in all of the resources that you share. So, and I'm, and this is why, you know, it really prompted me to, to have you on the podcast is because I would love to chat through boundary setting, which I know that you are a big advocate of. And I know like, and you've mentioned this, that boundaries and communication go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And so I think first and foremost, like I would love to learn your interpretation of what boundary setting even looks like for you, because I think there's so many layers and so many different complexities to it, whether it's holding boundaries with yourself or with others or in, you know, these different, you know, facets of life. So like, how did you even first learn to hold boundaries and like, what does that even mean to you? Yeah. I mean, those are all really good questions. And I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind that I want to say is like, when I, when I think about humanity, I think about relationships. We, we exist because we are in relationships. We're in relationships with ourselves, with our family members, with humans that we walk by on the street, with people we're in romantic relationships, with peers, with mentors, with our children. We exist because we have relationships. And I think a lot of people, when, when it comes to um, our mental and emotional wellness, we think kind of about loving ourselves or finding love. Like love kind of sort of centers a lot of the, the crux of where we experience pain or joy. And, and that those go hand in hand, relationships and love go hand in hand with the self and with others. And so boundaries, I think for me for a long time felt like a tangent of my mental health. It felt like a branch that was sort of like out, out here that like I needed to kind of focus on, but wasn't that important until I really started to conceptualize my wellness in, in context of relationships and boundaries are a way for us to maintain and create really, really wonderful, healthy relationships. So I, for a long time, thought boundaries were putting up walls. And as someone who wanted relationships, wanted love, wanted community, I was like, why would I put up walls between me and other people? That doesn't make sense. I should have no walls so that everyone can enter into my space and I can enter into their space and we can all be happy and love each other together. And it wasn't until I really started to understand what boundaries were and what they weren't um, that I get, got a clearer idea of how they were actually bridges between me and other people. And so the way I like to think about boundaries now are boundaries are sets of either agreements or, um, or values or uh, needs that I communicate with people in my life so that they understand how to bridge the gap between me and them and what that bridge looks like when it's safe to cross um, what it means when I'm signaling from the other side. Um, so it's a way for us to understand how do I get from you to me? And when is it, when are there times that maybe it's not an okay time for me to come and visit because you're needing to deal with something that is going on in your life. And by understanding it more like bridges, it allowed me to sort of visualize myself as my own island, my own container. There's a river or a lake around me. And this, hopefully this metaphor. <laughs> No, I'm like, this is landing. I'm like, this is great. Okay. So I'm my own little Island. There's water around me. Right. And I want to build connections with other islands. So I build these bridges, but sometimes if, if all of my bridges are open all the time, 
I'm never going to rest. I'm not going to be able to actually focus on any of the people that are crossing these bridges. And I'm not going to know when someone's walking on the bridge behind me, or if I actually want to go over to someone else's island, but I've got 20 people on my island. I need to have some level of these bridges are open only, you know, during these times of the day, this bridge is always open because this is a really important connection. Um, I really rarely open this bridge because I only go over there when I really need to do X, Y, and Z, whatever that might be. I'm building a safety system within myself and between the people that I'm in connection with. And so when I started to understand boundaries that way, it gave me permission to then actually inquire within myself around, well, what are those boundaries? What actually are they? What do I want them to be? How do I actually set them? How do I communicate them, stick to them? Right. But I had to start with what I like to call, um, and I can't claim this is not my own terminology, but it's myth busting, which is a dialectical behavior term, um, which is all about, it's basically just kind of shifting the way that we think about boundaries based on maybe what our parents taught us about boundaries, what culture yes. society teaches us about boundaries. Um, like it's rude to say no, it's rude to do this X, Y, and Z. It's selfish to ask for what you need. You know, there's these myths we have. And so by busting those myths, I was able to then change how I thought about boundaries, which then opened the door for me to actually start identifying them. Yeah. And it, and also as well, I mean, you make such amazing points and it seems like to, if you naturally come or came from a place of people pleasing, like boundaries were not an option because oftentimes when you are a people pleaser, you are wanting so much to have like your worth validated by other people and what that means oftentimes to keep on with this metaphor, like you said, is like keeping all of your bridges open all of the time. And so I could imagine it too, being really hard to kind of bust those myths that have been built up over time, again, from societally or from conditioned parenting, you know, and being brought up in certain family dynamics. So how did you go about that? Like, did you go through a process of writing it down of things that you believed what boundaries were or what did that process look like? Oh gosh. I wish it was just so lovely and structured, but it wasn't. (laughs) I love a good Um, process. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, so first of all, yeah, it was absolutely terrifying, um, to start setting boundaries because, you know, people pleasing, at least for me came from a place of intense anxiety and insecurity, about getting rejected or abandoned. Mm -hmm. And this fear that if I don't, if I don't show up for everyone all the time, then they're not going to love me anymore, or, or they're not going to like me, or they're going to tell me you're not a good friend, you're not a good partner, and they're going to leave me. It comes from this longing and this scarcity of love. And so changing that, shifting that and trying to tell myself, no, I'm doing this because it's going to create better relationships was really, really hard. It was fighting against this whole belief I had that this was how I, how I get good relationships. Um, so it was terrifying. And at first, um, you know, I think, I think what I, you know, I first just learned how to say no, honestly, that was like the biggest thing I learned Mm -hmm. in the beginning when I started learning boundaries was just literally saying no. So instead of saying yes to, you know, drinks with my girlfriends on a night when I was exhausted, I would say no. Or if, um, my partner wanted to have sex and I wasn't in the mood, I would say no. And that like making those no's was really scary because 
first of all, I was terrified of what the person's reaction was going to be. I was convinced I was going to get whip, like, um, not whiplash, uh, backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, setting new boundaries when you have an established relationship with someone where there haven't been those boundaries is also confusing for the other person. Yeah. And so there was also this really weird time where in my existing relationships, there was this negotiation of like, wait, where is this coming from? This is new before you weren't, this wasn't an issue. And now all of a sudden you're canceling plans. Do you not like us anymore? Like, are you okay? Like I had to also in a lot of ways, educate my people and say, look, I'm setting these boundaries and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the work I'm doing in therapy and realizing that I haven't been setting any boundaries and I need to start doing that to protect my mental wellness. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, that was, there was no rubric. I mean, I was making it up as I went. Did you feel like most people were receptive to you setting boundaries or did you feel like there was pushback or confusion even after providing context and education around the boundary setting? Yeah, it was a mixed bag. I mean, I had friends who understood, um, my, my ex-husband understood about some things, but not about others. Um, my parents, well, I, I had very little communication with my dad at that time, not because we had like a strained relationship or anything. He just was, um, not a very, he's not a very communicative or emotionally available person. Um, luckily our relationship now is a lot better. We've done a lot of work with each other, but I didn't need to set any boundaries with him because he wasn't really invading any boundaries at the time, but my mom really pushed back. She did not understand what, what I was doing. Um, and she didn't like it at all for her. It was a signaling of me not wanting to have a close relationship with her. And she made that clear to me and vocalized that to me often. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really difficult for several years to, ma- to manage that. How, how did that look throughout the years of boundary setting and receiving some pushback on that? And then I would assume that you held strong in certain boundaries, but did it always look that way? Like, I guess, what did that, um, relationship look like once your all's relationship started to change with the introduction of boundary setting? Yeah. So I first want to just say that now my mom and I have probably the healthiest relationship we've ever had in our life. And she is on board with boundaries. She loves everything I'm doing online. She's like my number one fan. And, uh, so I'm really lucky and also really proud of us for being able to navigate the years where it was really awful to get to this place. Um, and the, initially when I started setting boundaries, especially with her, I, I kind of went to what I like to call, like, I mean, so there's like, when you, when it comes to boundaries, there's like types of boundaries and then there's ways that we have our boundaries. So the ways that we can have boundaries are we can have, um, rigid boundaries, meaning like they're firm and they're, they're really hard. And it's kind of like having literal walls. Um, we can have porous boundaries, meaning we kind of, we like, we'll set them, but then we'll, we'll kind of be like, Oh, just kidding. I don't need to have that boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have healthy boundaries where they're like pretty firm, but there is some level of I'll negotiate if it's really necessary in these scenarios. And there's a little flexibility. So coming from a place of super porous boundaries, I went all the way to rigid because I had no idea what I was doing. And it felt like I needed to go really hard initially. So for the first, I think year or so that I was setting boundaries with her, I was setting, I was setting them. And then there was like no conversation. It was like, these are my boundaries and you better respect them. And in some ways I had to do that because otherwise I would have out of fear of her, um, 
like disowning me or not loving me. I, I knew that if I didn't set super firm boundaries, I would have then said, okay, just kidding. Like, we don't have to have these boundaries. Um, and a lot of my boundaries with her were around, um, like she really wanted us to, to be really close. And she wanted me to tell her everything that was going on in my life. And I felt pressed to be incredibly open with her about everything. And there were things that I wanted to keep private. Like there were things I didn't want to have to share with her and I didn't want to feel guilty for having any privacy. And so a lot of my boundaries were kind of around that. And so there was just a lot of tension between us for a little while. Um, and I think at one point, maybe a year ago, I actually like, uh, I tried to set a really firm boundary with her and I completely dissociated. I started crying because I could feel her energetically like shutting down and the whole scenario turning into how I was being this bad daughter who was shutting our relationship off. And I, I just, I felt so like I could feel all of the past times when I had felt that way from her, like coming to the present moment. And I just blew up and I yelled and I said, you know, I've been going to therapy for the last two years to try and work on our relationship, but I can't do it by myself. And I'm setting these boundaries because I want us to have a close mother daughter relationship. And if you, if you want that too, you need to do your own work as well. And then I think I said something like, and now I need to go walk around the block and decompress because my nervous system is, you know, I was like, these are the other things I've learned and I'm going to, I got to go because I just dissociated and started crying and yelled at you. Um, and then I, I flew to Bali the next day for three months. So we had this like period of physical separation. And, and during that time, I think, you know, I don't know, I haven't asked her exactly what happened, but during that time, something shifted for her. And when I came back home, um, she just, she acted really different towards me around my needs, around my boundaries. She started, um, like hearing my boundaries and then saying, I I have some feelings about this, but I know I can process them with other people. And it was just like, it was like, it was so night and day. Um, and, uh, but there was, I think after that blow up, I, I kind of thought to myself, I might not ever have a relationship with my mom again. And I think I had to get to that point in order to really do what I needed to do for myself, because I think the fear of, of her, um, you know, rejecting me or abandoning me was getting in the way of me actually doing the work I needed to do. Right. That's such a good point because it brings up something very similar actually that I went through with my mom, um, where we had a strained relationship for a certain amount of years in my early twenties and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I felt like we weren't making any headway. I was in years of therapy at that point but I felt like I wasn't getting through to her to where our relationship could grow. I was like, we both need outside help here. And I told her, I said, I can't have a relationship with you unless you go to therapy as well on your own. I want to work through this with you, but we are hitting a wall and doing it by ourselves is not going anywhere. And I think what's really interesting and kind of scary about setting boundaries is that setting your boundaries isn't forcing someone to do something, but it's rather stating where you're at in your process. And then like having to be okay with whatever the outcome is. Like I basically told my mom, I said, I really need you to go to therapy because I'm going to therapy as well. And I want our relationship to work. 
if that doesn't happen, I can't have a relationship with you right now. And I had to accept that if she chose not to go to therapy, that I would have to be okay with some separation. And so it sounds like in your story as well, there was almost this pivotal point of like, when you set a boundary, it's not necessarily meaning that the person on the other end is going to abide to that boundary setting. They may not, but then having to stand in your worth and like essentially accept that it may be a strained relationship if she decided to not work on herself. Yeah. And it's a really good distinction. You said, you know, setting a boundary is not telling somebody what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes that can get a little bit misconstrued because a boundary is something that I set for myself. And then I communicate to and with other people so that they understand what my boundaries are and how to interact with me. But it's not, it's not a demand or uh, a, you need to do this or a condition, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like if I have a boundary around, like I started, since I've started dating again, after my divorce, uh, my therapist was like, I think it'd be really good for you to set some personal boundaries around sex and around what your boundaries are with that and dating. And I was like, Oh, that's a really good idea because otherwise I kind of get to a date and I'm like, do I want to go home with this person? Do I not? And so they're not necessarily. And so like, for example, like I have this boundary of, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't go home with someone if I've had more than three drinks, that's a personal boundary. That's, Mm -hmm. that's something that I've decided for myself to protect my, to protect myself. And I still might communicate that with the person I'm on a date with and say, Hey, you know what? I've had a little bit too much to drink. And I, you know, I don't like to go home with people when I'm in this dating, this phase of dating when I've had, you know, this many drinks. Right. Um, that's a boundary. And, and, and there are ways for us to also have agreements with people in our life. Right. So if I'm in a relationship with someone and it's really important to me that our dishes are clean, we might sit down and talk about agreements we might have together around household chores. Right. But there's not, it's not a boundary to say, if you don't do the dishes, then I'm, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to talk to you for the rest Mm. of the night. And that's my boundary. And you have to respect my boundary. And so I think there's sometimes confusion around what a boundary is versus an agreement you might have with someone you're in a relationship with. Okay. So that's actually really fascinating. So in the instance, when I'm thinking about like the interaction that I had with my mom of where I was like, I, I, I can't enter into a continuing relationship with you unless we are both separately going to therapy. Would that not be considered a boundary, but rather like an agreement accepted upon by both parties? I think that what you're talking about came from a boundary because your boundary was, I can't, I can't maintain a relationship with someone in my life who isn't doing the work that they're, that they need to do if I'm doing work on our relationship. So a personal boundary you have set for yourself is if I'm in a relationship where there's some therapy required, then, then we both need to be doing equal parts work. And if not, then I can't engage in that relationship. That's definitely a personal boundary. And you communicated that with her. And so sometimes I think when we're already like halfway into a situation with someone setting a boundary can sometimes feel a little bit like we're making conditions or demands, because we've kind of already in some ways gotten over this hump of this is something that maybe if I had communicated from the beginning, it would have been clear that this was just a boundary, but we're already in the middle of this. Right. And that's not to say that you should have known when you were 
four years old right. that, you know, <laughs> mom, when we're adults, we both have to go to, yeah. you know, like, of course not, of course not. So absolutely what you did was communicate a boundary with her. Um, and I think that's where it gets really confusing and really hard yes. because a lot of times, especially for, you know, people of our generation, um, you know, the elder millennials, you know, who grew up without any access to what it means to have boundaries and all these things, most of us are now setting boundaries for the first time over that hump. And so we're in this kind of mucky middle space of like, I'm, I'm, I think this is me setting a boundary or communicating a boundary, but it also sort of feels like a demand or a rule because it's, it's going against sort of what's already kind of been established. It's so true. It gets very confusing and very gray. Like, how do you reconcile that? Because the reason I ask is I, and I can't even remember the specific example, but there was one time where I felt like I was setting a boundary and, you know, I think I was talking about it in an example with my partner and my friend was like, Oh, that actually sounds like an ultimatum kind of like the, you know, the instance with my mom of like, we both need to be going to therapy or we need to take some time apart. I feel like someone could perceive that as being an ultimatum. And so how do you reconcile or make sense of setting a boundary and it not forcing someone to do something like all of kind of, like you said, the muckiness that gets involved with boundary setting, like, I guess, how do you know that you are worthy to set this for yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first thing I want to say is you probably won't know. <laughs> like if there was, if there was an ultimate way of knowing, I would package that in a little box and I would sell it for a million dollars. Wouldn't be that rich. be great? Um, no, I wouldn't sell it. I would just give it away. But <laughs> um, sometimes we don't know until we're communicating it. And then we either go, yeah, this really does feel like a boundary or Oh, I, if I think I thought this was a boundary and now I'm hearing it out loud and it sounds like it's not. Um, and so sometimes it's literally a matter of trial and error and willingness to screw up, like total willingness to say, you know what I, when I started having this conversation with you, I was, I was pretty sure I was setting a boundary. And the more we're talking, the more I'm kind of thinking that's not what's happening. Can we still talk about this though? Cause I know it's something that's been bothering me. And maybe we can kind of figure out a way to, you know, set some agreements about this thing. So still honoring that whatever it was, was, was making you feel a certain way and give, gave you the need to have this conversation and allowing yourself to go, you know what? I think I am, I made a mistake here around what I'm trying to communicate because that's okay. And, and so that's like, I think the one thing is trial and error. Right. The The second thing is allowing yourself if possible to use I statements when setting boundaries. So rather than I need you to do this, or I feel like you always do this saying things like, um, I feel really disrespected when, um, you know, when you go out at night and you tell me you're going to call me and then you don't, um, I would feel a lot more loved if you checked in, um, you know, like you said that you would. And I, it's really important to me in my relationships that the person I'm with, um, follows through when they say they're going to do something right? So I'm communicating what I need, what I want and why it's important to me. Right. And that then stays within me, my boundary, my needs, and the other person does whatever they're going to do with that. Right. Um, right. And, and so if you're able to, to turn the language into I statements, a, that, that actually creates much more space for the other person to receive and go, Oh, that's what this person needs. This is what they're telling me. 
how, like how I can do that. And it's not, there's not an, as much of a need to get on the defensive. Um, the second thing about that is it makes it really clear if it's actually a personal boundary or something else. Cause if I can't turn that into an I statement, um, I mean, that's not, I don't want to be super black and white and say that's entirely true, but if it's harder for me to put it into an I statement, then I might ask myself, like, is this really something that I need for myself? Or is this just, you know, something that's pissing me off or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, so that's, those are the two things I would say. It's so incredibly powerful. How do you make sense of, or work through someone not respecting those boundaries. So let's say you use your I statements. You're like, I'm standing in my worth. Like this is what will be good for me. And then you're getting bulldozed by your partner or your in-laws or your family or what have you, like, what do you do? Uh, well, if you're me, (laughs) um, maybe shut down a little bit, panic, uh, remind myself that I'm here in the present moment and I'm not in danger. So a lot of grounding. Use (laughs) use your skills that you've learned. Um, Yeah. Uh, someone pushing back on a boundary is, is really upsetting. It's, um, and especially if you're coming from a place of not having a history of setting boundaries, it's kind of like the worst fear realized. Right. So I, you know, and I, I have a lot of experience now setting boundaries and I still panic when someone pushes back. So the first thing I want to say is like, uh, so you're not going to get it perfect (laughs) the first time and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you suck at setting boundaries or that you're doing anything wrong. It just means this is a really, really new, new thing. And your body and your brain haven't quite caught up to the actions you're taking. So that's okay. Um, and so the first thing I usually do is I like, I'll tell myself in this moment, I'm safe. I did not do anything wrong. All I did was communicate what I need. I have not asked for too much. So I have this like internal dialogue, um, to try and kind of like talk myself into a state of calmness rather than a state of, Oh, I have to now do what they're asking me to and negate my own boundary. Cause that would be my sort of go-to is to say, well, no, don't worry about it. Never mind. Um, if it's with someone who's, who I want to maintain a relationship with, so if it's with someone who I, who I really do want to still be in relationship with after this conversation, um, then I might lean into having a conversation. So like, if it's like, let's say it's, I think in-laws is actually probably harder than a partner. Um, you know, let's yeah, say I'm, I'm at, if I'm at my in-laws and, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, like, um, if you have a great example, throw it out, but, uh, like they're asking me, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm planning to do for, for work. Cause I'm mm-hmm. not working right now or something. And for, so, let's say that I've decided that that's not something that I really want to talk about because it makes me feel anxious or for whatever reason, I've kind of decided for myself, that's not something that I really want to talk about, um, with, with people. So I might say to them, you know what, that's not something I really feel like talking about. And then maybe they come back and say, Oh, come on. We just want to know what you're up to. You know, you're so great at everything you do. You know, what you should do is try and get a job at, um, you know, so-and-so store down the street, it would be so one, let me give them your phone number. I think in that scenario, because I want to maintain a relationship with my in-laws, um, I have two options. I can stand really firm in my boundary and I can say, I really appreciate how much you care about my work. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that you want to help out. And truthfully, I'm in this phase right now where it's really important that I figure this out on my own. So I think I acknowledge them, I validate them, and then I reinstate my boundary. 
Um, that's one option. Another option is what are the stakes here, right? Is this, a, is this a boundary where if I allow them to, in some ways cross it, I'm going to get hurt or someone else is going to get hurt in this scenario. Not really. Cause it's a conversation about work. So I could have some flexibility here and say, mm. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know what? I'll take their phone number and I'll think about it. So that allows us to maintain some, you know, some relationship there um, because it's not, a, stakes aren't super high, but if I'm in a situation, like I, I, I kind of like to use sex as an example where it's mm -hmm. like my physical body is at stake, those stakes are high. And so if I'm saying no in a scenario, when it comes to that, there's not negotiation there for me, right? Like it's that's, black and white. That's yeah. That's a scenario where I'm not going to, the stakes are higher for me, at least for me. Right. And, and that's because I come from a history of sexual assault. And so there's not any room for flexibility when I'm setting sexual boundaries. So I have to ask myself, do I want to maintain this relationship? Is the stakes, are the stakes higher? Is there risk for me having some flexibility here? And then based on the answers to those, I can kind of move in different directions. And that's powerful too, because it can look different for everyone. And it's nice to know that with boundaries, like I keep thinking back to the metaphor with, you know, the island and, um, the river and the bridges is that it, it, there can be different boundaries for different scenarios. And then there also could be different responses to push back on boundaries, depending, like you said, on how high a risk may be. So like, can you give an example of different boundaries that you may set that look different for different people. Like again, like boundaries for your mom may look different than boundaries for, you know, a friend or what have you. Like, it's not a one size fits all approach. Not at all. It's so unique. It's so personal. It's unique to the individual. It's unique to the relationship. It's unique to the setting or the context. Like my boundaries at work are going to look different than my boundaries when I'm with my, you know, uh, at my friend's apartment. Right. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, your question was like, just an example of like how they might be different. Um, I, you know, like, I think an example that comes to mind for me is like, I have lots of friends from different walks of life who are, you know, who we, we share different interests, different values. Um, we're friends for different reasons. Um, so I don't necessarily have boundaries for all friendships. I have boundaries for each friendship. And, and so like, if I have a friend who, um, has a history of depression, maybe experiencing some suicidal thinking, um, my boundaries around when I can hold space or respond to messages are going to look different for that friend than for another friend. So for another friend, I might have boundaries around my texting or when I can hold space, if they're having a hard time. Um, where I know, like, uh, you know, I, I, and these aren't necessarily things I would communicate with that person, but I know I don't need to respond to text right away for this person. I've told myself that so I can preserve my energy. Um, or if, if this person, you know, needs to talk about something I'm comfortable saying today, I don't have the energy. Can we schedule a call for tomorrow? I'll put you on my calendar. Whereas with another friend, when they text me, I'll look right away to see what it's about. Um, um, or if they say, Hey, can you, can you chat? I know with this friend, I respond and say, let me know if it's an emergency, because if it is, I'll drop everything and get on the phone with you. If it's not, do you think that we could schedule a phone call for tomorrow? So I have different boundaries with different friends based on our, our relationship. And what I know 
I have space for, but also what they, what they need. And so I think that's, that was really helpful for me too, because for a long time, at least with my friendships, I was like, I'm the friend that drops everything for everyone all the time. I don't care who it is or what it's for. If you need me, I'm there. And I did that for a long time. And then I was just fucking exhausted all the time. And then I, and then I couldn't show up anywhere else. I couldn't show up at work. I couldn't show up for myself. I couldn't show up for my boyfriend. I couldn't show up for my family because I would always drop everything for all my friends. And then I kind of said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't hold space for anyone unless it's an emergency. And so I went completely in the opposite direction. And then I, and then I realized, oh, it's not necessarily that within each category of boundaries, I have one set of rules. It's that there are these different categories of boundaries, like friendships, work, family, um, uh, sex, whatever, you know, and, and within those, there might be different boundaries I have, um, depending on the actual relationship. Right. Like you said, it's going to look unique. Even if you're in a particular category, like you said, with friends, mm-hmm. the situation will look unique depending on what that friend needs married with what you are comfortable with giving at certain moments in time. And then it sounds like too the communication aspect, like sometimes it does make sense for you to communicate it. And then, like you said, sometimes it may just be you state like stating your boundary to yourself and then uh, working through that friendship as as normal, I guess, without having to explicitly communicate it. Right. Right. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, I know we talked a lot about setting boundaries with others, but I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about people setting boundaries with us. Cause I also think that presents its own unique challenges and it's easy. I know that I've personally done it is that when people sometimes set boundaries with me, it's easy to internalize it and think that you may have done something wrong or kind of like, again, the flip side of like, do they not want to spend time with me? And so how do you interpret people setting boundaries with you to encourage a healthy relationship with said person who set boundaries? Yeah. So this is a great question. And, um, I first want to acknowledge that it is so normal to experience anxiety, disappointment, um, feeling maybe rejected or unliked or unloved when someone sets a boundary with us. It's so normal to feel that way because especially if it's someone that we've been in a relationship for a long time and this boundary kind of goes against maybe how we've understood our relationship to be, it can feel surprising. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel scary. And, um, and that is so normal. And so I first just want to validate that it's really normal to experience that. Um, The second thing I'll say is I think it's, I think in most scenarios, especially if it's someone that you've had a relationship with for a long time, it's okay to have like follow-up conversation after a boundary is set. Um, It's okay to say, uh, you know, oh, you know, thank you for setting that boundary with me. I had no idea that that was, you know, what you needed. So I I really appreciate you telling me that. Um, And, you know, I'm wondering if we can, have a conversation about it either now or at another time um, so that I can make sure I'm really respectful of it and also maybe, uh, you know, soothe some of the insecurities I'm having. And, and the other person then can decide if that's something that they want or not. Right. So if you're the person setting the boundary, it's okay for you to say, you know what, this isn't really something I want to have a conversation about. That's okay. And if it's someone that you have a really strong relationship with um, like a partner or a close friend or a family member, um, 
you know, I think that there is allowance or opportunity to say, yes, I'm willing to have a conversation with you about why this is a boundary that maybe I didn't set before and where it's coming from um, so that you understand me better, right? Because hopefully that's the goal, right? If we're setting boundaries with people we want relationships with, the goal is that we're actually just getting to know one another better so we know how to treat each other. Um, so I think it's okay to ask for that. You don't have to demand it right away. I think I think offering like a maybe another time is a, is a gentle way of saying, I hear you, I respect you. I don't need to, I'm not pushing you on your boundary, but maybe at a later date, we can have a conversation. Right. Um, another, another thing I'll say is, um, uh, you know, when someone sets a boundary with us and if it brings up sort of feelings of like, oh, does this mean that they don't like me? That they don't want to spend time with me. Does this mean that I did something that upset them? It, it is possible that the answer to one of those questions is yes. That's also a possibility, right? People sometimes true. annoy us, right? My best friend sometimes annoys me. doesn't mean I don't love her, right? It just means sometimes, you know, she can talk too long about X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, or, you know, maybe my mom says something really offensive and I don't have the energy to explain to her why that's a problem. And I'm just not, I just don't have the energy to talk about that. Right. So there's sometimes it is, it does sometimes have to do with maybe our behavior or our personality and that's okay because we are wonderful human beings that have all these different layers and personality types, and we are not going to be everything for everyone all the time. And to try to be everything for everyone all the time is exhausting. And we don't have to do that. So reminding yourself and letting yourself off the hook and saying, Oh, you know, maybe I did like say something that bothered them, or maybe this one thing I do triggers this thing that has to do with a past experience. And I can not be attached to that because it doesn't mean anything bad about me. It just means this one little tiny dynamic of a relationship is just a little tiny dynamic and that's all right. And that can be really hard, um, especially if we already experience insecurity or low self-esteem. And um, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that we aren't going to be everything for everyone all the time. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what makes us unique and different and human and something that bothers me or bothers you about me is going to be something that someone loves completely about you. So don't get rid of it, you know? Um, so I, I just like to throw that, say that too. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is sometimes we have to deal with our feelings about someone setting a boundary with us somewhere else. So for example, like when I set boundaries with my mom, she wanted to, to figure out, she wanted to, ha to have me be the person that soothed her feelings about me setting a boundary with her. Oh, and that was, that was like just crossing another boundary after I set a boundary. Right. So there's sometimes we need to, to say, I'm having a lot of feelings about this boundary that got set with me. And I'm going to go talk to somebody else about this because I deserve to process the feelings that are coming up. Right. I deserve to process the insecurity or the shame or the, the anxiety and I need to do it elsewhere. So whether that's with a therapist or another friend or a support system or in a journal, um, allowing yourself to process any feelings that come up, but, but maybe with somebody else. Right. Like it doesn't have to be with that person that set that boundary with you because that could like you said, complicate the boundary setting even more and also probably is not helpful for either party. Yeah. 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 Can you share any instances in which boundary setting, whether you were on the receiving end or the giving end of like setting a boundary has yielded to 
stronger relationships. And then in tandem with that, I also want to know, like, cause I know that oftentimes with setting boundaries, it can lead to relationships that are no longer or where the chapter is closed. And I would love to hear your feelings and thoughts about that because ultimately sometimes when setting boundaries, your worst fear is that again, like that connection may be severed or it may lead to feelings of abandonment or loss of love or a connection. And you know, the way that I see it, and again, would love to know your views on it, but sometimes when those boundaries are set and they're not respected multiple times in a row, it might be best to close a chapter on said friendship or relationship and therefore actually serves you um, in a better way in the future. But would love to kind of hear both sides of how you've seen boundaries really help further relationships and then also maybe close some chapters that were ultimately for the best. Yeah. So I think, you know, the relationship with my mom is probably my best example of how setting boundaries completely transformed our relationship. Um, not initially, but in the end, like we have such a healthy relationship now. And I feel, I just feel so grateful to be in the space that we're in. Um, I also feel like, uh, you know, I, I set boundaries with my ex-husband after we got divorced because he really wanted us to be friends. And I had no idea how to do that. I had no clue what it would be like to be friends with him. We were never mm. friends. We just started dating and then married and then divorced. So I was like, I don't even know what being a friend with you looks like. Um, but I wanted to be in contact with him. I wanted to be in relationship with him. I missed him. It was, he was my partner and best friend for 10 years. So I wanted to talk to him, but every time I did, I would be, I would get sad. I would like fall right back into the grief cycle. And so finally I had to first for myself, set some boundaries around what do I need to protect myself during this grief process? If ultimately what I want is a relationship with him, a friendship, what boundaries do I have to set right now so that I can move through my, my grief. And I needed to have no face contact. So no FaceTiming, no audio contact, no hearing his voice. Um, and really only communication if we needed to talk about logistics. And I told him that, and I was clear about why I did that. And he respected that. And as time went on, I was able to move through my grieving process. And now we're in a space where we have what feels like a quasi friendship, um, where I don't experience just total sorrow every time I speak to him. Um, and, and so that I think was, uh, a time when setting boundaries allowed me to, and, and him to have the relationship that we hoped to have post-divorce. Um, there are definitely friendships I've lost by setting boundaries hundred percent. Um, I, I set up a, a firm boundary with a friend who I'd been friends with for about 10 years and she did not respond well. She basically told me I was psycho. She told me that I was demanding things from her, that I was self-centered. Like she just freaked out at me. And, and I kind of thought like, if this is how you respond to me setting a boundary, you know, maybe or maybe there's a reason that I needed to set this. Um, and then she actually just never spoke to me again. And, uh, you know, we had a really, I don't want, I don't really like to use the word toxic, but we had a, a relationship that was really, um, sort of up and down and topsy herby, which is why I needed to set a boundary with her in the first place. Um, and, and I think it's better that we stopped being friends. I don't think that we were good for each other at all. Um, I don't think she was good for me. I don't think I was good for her. Um, and so I think in that instance, setting a boundary did end that relationship. And I think it's, it was probably for the best. Um, so those are 
I don't know if those are. Yeah, no, it's super helpful. And just hearing your perspective. And I also love to, um, you know, when you talk about the boundary setting that have yielded positive outcomes or relationships, like it's not an overnight fix. Like it's not that you set the boundary, they respect it immediately. And then the next day you like, you know, your relationship has transformed and blossomed into, you know, the perfect relationship. And it's just, thank you for normalizing that sometimes it's a long and messy process that when you look back on, like it's similar with my mom, we have a great relationship now. And I think that that was the pivotal moment in our relationship. And it was really messy for about a year to a year and a half post that conversation. But now looking back on it, I'm so thankful that I I stood in that um, space and, and said what I needed from, from both of us so that we could one day reconnect. And so I just appreciate you sharing those stories because, you know, we are an instant gratification culture and oftentimes some, it's hard to, it's difficult to do hard things to begin with. And even more so when you're not receiving the instant gratification from it. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I think that also like, there's also sometimes this narrative, I I feel like it's mostly I I see it on social media of like, they disrespected my boundary once. And so they were gone. And, and some scenarios, I think that's appropriate, right? Like, I think if we're first starting to get to know someone, and we, we set a pretty clear boundary, and they dismiss it, we don't really owe that person anything, we don't have an established relationship. And if we have sort of this you know, this feeling of like, that's a clear sign to me. This is just not someone I want to engage with. All right. I understand that. But if, you know, if I have a long-standing relationship with someone and I set a boundary and they, they cross it or they forget, I'm not going to cut them out of my life immediately. Um, I'm going to have a conversation with them about what happened and hopefully remedy that. And, and if it continues to happen over and over, then that's a bigger problem that we need to have a discussion about. And I think there's this also really black and white idea about boundaries because we still sort of conceptualize them as clear cut things or walls that if they're crossed or disrespected, then that's like a, "Eh, that person is out of my life. And so hopefully just reducing the black and white narrative around boundaries and relationships in general, um, while still knowing that at some point there is a limit where we say, you know what, my boundaries have been respected too many times or X many times. And there's only so much I can, you know, there's only so much compassion I can show with this person that I have a relationship with, who is just clearly not respecting the things that I'm asking. Right. Um, And I love that. Like when we talked about it earlier, you did build it somewhat as a spectrum of like how high of a risk or high of a stake is this boundary, like being, um, respected. And then also, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it just felt like it was almost considering a lot of different factors and making that ultimate decision. Like how high of a risk is it? Like what type of relationship is it? You know, can this be communicated and remedied in some way? And so it is nice to know that there are different factors to look at because again, I I know we've kind of reiterated this over the course of the episode, but it's just, it's not a silver bullet approach. It's not a one size fits all. It's going to look different and messy, but hopefully in the long run, really help, you know, you in your just standing in your self-worth really. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think too, like this kind of brings to me boundaries that we have with ourselves. 
um, because I've, I've found that, uh, you know, the boundaries I set within my own self are just as important, if not more important than the boundaries I create with other people, because I'm the one responding to my own boundaries. I'm the one that's setting them and hopefully the one that's respecting them. And so also cultivating some self-talk. If I don't respect my own boundaries, if I cross my own boundaries, if I'm too porous with my own boundaries, um, and reminding myself that they're not rules that I create for myself, but they're, they're systems I set up so that I can protect myself or respect myself. And, and sometimes I'm going to default or I'm going to, you know, not use the system or I'm going to go back to old patterns. And that doesn't mean the system is not in place anymore. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or that I can't take care of myself or that I don't respect myself. It just means like, Oh, there was this moment where I just didn't walk the path that I had set and I can just get back on that path. Or maybe I've set too rigid of a boundary with myself. If I keep falling off that path, right. It's information. Um, so I think also like reminding ourselves when it comes to our own personal boundaries that we have within ourselves, that it's not black and white and that yes. it's, it's also still a negotiation and that there can be some self-compassion, um, as well. And I appreciate you bringing this up because I think holding boundaries with yourself and I'll just speak for my personal experience, like feels so incredibly difficult and it's not even necessarily like the boundary holding, but it's like when I hold my boundary and then I don't even respect the boundary for myself, I'm so hard on myself. Like Mm. I will shame myself or have negative self-talk, which is something that I'm working on, but I would love to hear your process. If you can give an example of let's say you have a specific boundary for yourself and I would love to know kind of like a pre boundary scenario and a post boundary scenario, like back when you did an Institute boundaries, like what that would look like. And then now that you seem like you have a healthy relationship with setting boundaries for yourself. And let's say you do hold a specific boundary and you don't necessarily hold it. Like what type of compassion do you offer yourself or what does that process look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm trying to think of a boundary that I might have with myself now that I didn't used to. Um, uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, a social media boundary. And the reason I think this is a boundary with myself is because nobody, um, like this is, it's not a a boundary that I have with another person. Um, and even though there are people who look at my social media, this is a boundary I created within myself around my relationship to social media. And so I'm the only person that can hold me accountable for this boundary. who can shift it, change it, whatever. So it feels like a boundary with myself. So I didn't used to have any boundaries with social media. I would post whenever I would scroll whenever it was just like, whenever I feel like it, I'm on it. And, um, when I started to have more, um, followers on Instagram, I started to get really overwhelmed and anxious about how much I was posting, how much I wasn't posting when I was online, when I was not online, was I responding to comments fast enough? Um, how many DMS I needed to get back to. It just felt like I suddenly was like at at the beck and call of anyone on social media. And so I I had to start setting some boundaries around that. And, and so I just told myself, I, I'm not going to go on Instagram on weekends. Um, And I made that decision for myself and that allowed me to feel like, okay, these are the days of the week that I'm on social media. And these are the days that I'm not. And having that boundary helped me preserve my energy so that when I was there, 
I could be fully present. I started adding in some more around, like, I don't have to respond to comments right away. I don't have to respond to every comment. Um, and, and giving myself some, you know, leeway, which doesn't seem like a boundary, but in, in some ways it was because I, the boundary I set for myself was, um, I don't have to respond to things right away. I don't go on social media on weekends. Um, I preserve my energy so that I can show up where it really matters. And, uh, and there were obviously times where I would pick up my phone and look at Instagram on the weekend, or I'd be like, oh, I feel like posting. So I'm going to post something on my story. Like, and then I'd be like, Oh, Rachel, like you said, you were going to do that. And you did that. And now everyone's going to think that you don't commit to your own boundaries and you're setting a horrible example and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of like beat myself up. And, um, and I had to remind myself like, Hey, no one else is paying as much attention. <laughs> as me to my own personal this boundaries, right? Like, especially with my own personal boundaries, nobody is paying attention to what I'm setting my own boundaries with. They're not, they're in living in their own world. Um, so nobody cares. And I say that with love. Um, and the second thing I had to start doing was asking myself in this scenario, is it hurting me that I'm crossing my own boundary or, or not? And if it is hurting me, how much is it hurting me or is it negligible? And the truth was like, it really wasn't hurting me if I like scrolled a little bit on Saturday or decided to post something, you know, on Sunday when I said I wasn't, it wasn't really making my life worse. Mm -hmm. Um, if I had started like engaging with social media, the way I do during the weekdays on weekends, then yeah, it would have, because I would be burned out and I probably would feel the way I was feeling earlier. So then I would have to have a conversation with myself around, you know, this is starting to hurt. So the first question I ask is like, is my own crossing of my own boundary causing me any harm? Um, the other thing that I've actually been working a lot on in therapy is, um, you know, I've cultivated a, an excellent inner voice of self-compassion. So I've spent the whole year developing the self-talk that's like super, super kind. It's basically like my, my, you know, my inner parent talking to my inner child and saying, oh, sweet Rachie, like, it's okay that you went on social media on the weekend. You didn't hurt anyone you didn't hurt yourself. It's, it's not the end of the world. And you're still just wonderful, just as you are. Why don't we put the phone down and we'll go for a little walk and get outside and, you know, get a hot cocoa or something, you know, like I'm so kind, I'm so mm, kind to myself. It's been great. But what I've noticed is that after cultivating so much inner kindness and self-compassion is I kind of let myself off the hook a lot. So I sort of like, it's like my inner parent has become like a laissez-faire parent. (laughs) And if you know anything about parenting styles, it's kind of like a parent that's just like, I don't care what you do. You can go out until midnight, eat whatever you want, take my credit card. I don't care. I'm not going to get you in trouble because I don't (laughs) give a crap, Um, which seems like a great way to be, but it actually creates a lack of stability and structure. And so I've noticed that I, in some ways feel like I'm longing for not like reprimand or discipline, but there's times where I would like to not do the things that I keep doing all the time. Right. For the structured parent to come in and like lay down some law. Yeah. So I think, (laughs) I think when it comes to like how to navigate crossing our own personal boundaries, the first thing is, am I harming myself? The second thing is have self-compassion, talk to yourself with a lot of love and kindness, and then also allow yourself a little bit of accountability and say, a, you're a wonderful human and you didn't do anything wrong and you're perfect as you are. And B, I'm here to support you in figuring out how to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. So how can I help you do that? Right. So it's still coming from a place of love, but we're getting this balance of, I love you and there's nothing wrong with you. And because I love you, I'm here to figure out how to make this happen. Right. 
And so that marriage of those two sides, I think has been pivotal in how I talk to myself, not just in like when I screw up with my own boundaries, but just when I feel like I'm screwed up in general, you know, like, or when I'm shaming myself or hating on myself. Um, yeah. Do you feel like it ebbs and flows or do you feel like now you've cultivated such a strong, like you said, inner, inner voice, inner parent that it's remained pretty consistent. I think I've done an excellent job of cultivating my inner parent who is self-compassionate that that's like, that's just now innate. I'm really right now in the process of cultivating this sort of other piece that is like the accountability, um, goal setting, maybe more structured side. Um, so that feels fresh and not necessarily like immediately accessible. Um, and it's like a muscle to build mm -hmm. in an ongoing practice, like, especially as new relationships enter your life, whether, you know, it be like work or family or what have you, like even your boundaries with yourself are probably going to shift. And I feel like therefore the practice, the practice itself will always be growing and changing and iterating. Oh, absolutely. And like, that's the other thing is boundaries change. Like we might start out with certain boundaries and certain relationships and they, they will change because a, we change, which means our values change, what we need changes, what we tolerate changes, what we don't tolerate changes. Um, the person we're in a relationship changes and then the dynamic of our relationship will change too. So of course the boundaries are going to shift. Um, and so I think that's also something too, that I think was important for me to learn was permission for my boundaries to change. Um, I had a lot of anxiety of like, oh, if I set a boundary, then that's it forever. And oh God, like so I better get it right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you're not stuck with it for life. Yeah. I know a lot of, um, people on social media ask you about boundaries and just questions around the topic. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to speak towards or share? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think we kind of covered like what happens yeah. if someone sets a boundary with us and how we respond boundaries with family members is a big one. Um, those are kind of the two biggest questions I usually yeah. get. So, and I would, you know, before we wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about, because I know you have a new program around boundaries coming out. And so I would love for you to just share a little bit about that, what that entails, how people can get involved. All that yeah. good stuff. So I am, I'm really excited. Um, this woman named Kayla who started this app called reframe, um, reached out to me. Reframe is an app that's primarily designed for people who are either um, sober curious or want to take a break from drinking alcohol um, or who are committed to lifelong sobriety. Um, it's basically an app that allows you to have a forum or a community of people to talk to. It allows you to track your, um, your alcohol daily to set goals. Um, and then there's also these little mini challenges and programs to keep you motivated and also educate you. Um, but that. what's happening from that foundation are um, she's bringing in therapists, coaches, mental health advocates um, to create these either short-term courses or challenges that have to do with all things mental health. So you don't necessarily have to be um, someone who is engaged in sobriety to use the app or benefit from all the other pieces, because there's, I like to think of it as like, you know, there's all these workout apps available where mm -hmm. these different trainers, like and yoga instructors come in and they do their two week booty busting challenge and their two week, you know, get to a handstand program. And it's kind of like that, but for mental health. Um, and so I'm going to be creating a two week boundaries course, um, 
I'm working on it right now. So I'm hoping that it'll be on the app before Christmas. Um, and I also have a discount code. So if anyone wants to sign up for the app now or later, they can just use Rachel have a cost 15 for 15% off. Um, cause we love discounts and yeah, I'm excited about that. So love a good discount. And I'm so excited for that to come out. I feel like in concept, you know, thinking about boundaries, you're like, yeah, I could do this. And then in practice, I feel like it's really helpful to go through an exercise or a workshop of sorts so that it feels a little bit more tangible. Oh yeah. yeah. It does. Like even hearing myself talk about boundaries, I'm like, God, this is overwhelming. Like it's just, there's it's a so lot. Much, there's so much to it. Yeah. yeah. So having some structure and like day to day, here's what you're learning and here's what you're practicing is, is really helpful. Yes. 100%. Um, and I feel like also too, before the holidays, like what, what perfect timing for that to happen. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Lastly, before we jump off, any last words of wisdom to leave to anyone here listening? Ooh, last words of wisdom. Um, I, I would say, you know, this is sort of like the mantra I'm living right by right now is um, one day at a time. And, and that's the most I have power over. I think I used to get so bogged down by all of the things that did or didn't happen in my past and all of the, um, like, how am I going to make sure that my future goes a certain way? And, um, and so today and for, you know, for now I'm focusing on just one day at a time. That's the most I can do. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's even such a good reminder for myself. Um, and how can people connect with you if they're wanting to follow along on your journey, work with you in any capacity? What does that look like? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Rachel underscore have a cost. I'm on TikTok at Rachel have a cost. My website is Rachel have a cost.com. So if you just Google my name, you'll find what you need. To find. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Rachel, so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure having you. I myself am walking away from just amazing things to think about boundary wise. And just, again, thank you for sharing all of the things that you have learned in your life and now just spreading the word. Thank you, Kelly. It was so good to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As this is a fully self-funded podcast, any love and support you can show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts would be so greatly appreciated. To connect and stay in the loop, please follow along through Instagram on WellWellPodcast. Until next time.